Hey, welcome back to Software Social. This episode is brought to you by Translate CI. Translate CI is a tool for developers that helps you localize applications with high quality human translations. It supports over 70 language pairs. Translate CI eliminates the need to work out of spreadsheets, hire translators, and manually merge language files. Instead, with Translate CI, you can just use Git. Just connect your Git repo and Translate CI will pull out phrases, and after a professional translator translates everything, they will merge into your existing code base with a pull request. And every time you push code to your Git repository, Translate CI will pull any new phrases out, translate them, and create a PR back. See how you can turn translation from a hassle into a breeze at translateci.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Software Social. Today, we are super excited to have a special guest, Chris Spaggs, the founder of JetBoost. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Colleen. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, I feel like this is the major leagues of Bootstrap podcasts, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little nervous. You're a pro at this, though. You have your own show. That's true. And we are super happy to talk about JetBoost with you today. Do you want to start by telling us a little bit about how you started the company and how long you've had it? Yeah, definitely. So I started JetBoost in 2019, uh, and it kind of came about by accident. Uh, so a friend of mine, Corey Haynes, who you've actually had on the show before, he was the first person to introduce me to Webflow. He created a job board using Webflow, which Webflow, for anyone that doesn't know, is like a, a visual website builder. And he built this job board, and it was super impressive. And there was one issue with it, which was there was no way to quickly search through the jobs. You had to scroll through this long list of jobs. So I wrote some custom code for him. He put it on his website and I didn't really think much about it. it was just like, you know, just helping a friend out. But over the next few months, he kept sending more and more people to me who wanted the same thing for their Webflow sites. So I thought, hmm, this is interesting. I did a few of those, you know, for free as well. But I thought maybe I could turn this into something that anyone can install on their Webflow site because most people who use Webflow don't know how to write code. So I thought, you know, I, I could help out in that way. And eventually that turned into JetBoost. I, I built this product where it allowed anyone to add a search to their Webflow site. From there, we we expanded and, and built other plugins for Webflow as well. Filtering, favoriting, all sorts of different plugins for the Webflow CMS specifically. All of those which you add without writing any custom code yourself. And it really just grew from there via word of mouth. And yeah, I've been doing that for just over two years now today. What was it in 20? So it was 2019 that you first started doing this. Mm -hmm. Was it 2020 that you joined the Calm Fund portfolio? Yep, that's correct. So in 2019, I started it at basically as a side project where I was consulting on the side. Then I went full time on JetBoost in, oddly enough, March of 2020. Oh boy. It, yeah. <laughs> I, I gave my my last client four weeks notice in February, and then like my last day with them was a week before the pandemic really hit wow. in the U.S. Oh my gosh! And I was like, all right, I hope this works out. But yeah, then in May of 2020 is when I took the investment from Calm Fund. So all all that timing did end up working out eventually. And then I think that was how I don't know if I met you on Twitter or through. Calm Fund. I don't remember. Yeah, it was actually, it was through Calm Fund. So I had reached out to them because I, I had a question. There was something that I was dealing with, which I can't even remember now. And they're like, oh, you have to talk to Michelle. And I was like, okay, like we we had no connection 
prior to that. Um, so I, I sent you an email and you sent me back this just amazing response, you know, super detailed and just incredible advice. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, first of all, thank God I took the Calm Fund money because, you know, prior to this, I was a first time founder. I was a solo founder. So I kind of felt like I, part, part of the reason I, I took the investment was to, you know, have access to their network. And it basically like immediately paid off just from meeting you. So yeah, that that's how we originally met. And then I started sending you my monthly investor update because I was like, oh my gosh, here's this business guru that is a genius that is so helpful that I need to have on my side. So yeah. <laughs> I'm struggling to hold it together over here. You're <laughs> too kind. Oh, and then this crazy thing happened where Colleen up and moved to California last year. You know, as we discussed, Colleen last year became a cool kid, moved to California, joined a startup. But she moved to San Diego, which is where you live. And so then it like turned out that I I guess you guys met each other through like the Indie Hackers meetup or something in San Diego. Is that right? I, I think I started listening to your podcast because I knew Michelle. And then that's sort of how I met Colleen, you know, at least uh, one-way communication. But eventually we started chatting about no-code stuff and her a product simple file upload. And then one day she was like, yeah, I'm moving to San Diego with my family. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Cool. <laughs> and now we meet up like once a week and, and talk business. So it's, uh, yeah, it's worked out well. It's funny how those things develop. I know. Yeah. I think we were internet f- friends first. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, Hey, you want to have lunch? And you're like, sure. And then I was like, great. Want to have lunch every week? You're like, I guess so. <laughs> Colleen, you're like a Labrador puppy. I know. I know. <laughs> Just hang out with me. That's all I need. <laughs> I think this is the first time we've actually all three of us had a conversation, but we have talked about each other in conversations. And like there was one time when like Colleen and I were talking about something a couple of months ago and she was saying how she was like working through something. And she was like, well, I was talking to, you know, my friend Chris about it. And I was like, your friend, Chris, hold on. <laughs> I knew him first. (laughs) That's super funny. So when you started JetBoost, what were your consulting hours like? Were you consulting full-time and this was completely a side project or did you consult three days a week, four days a week? Yeah. So I was technically consulting 20 hours a week, which was kind of a terrible setup because it wasn't like I had specific days. It was just, I was supposed to be doing 20 hours a week, but usually that ended up being a lot more because I. it's like hard to say, you know, sorry, client, I've already worked my four hours today. I'm not going to, you know, answer your calls or respond to your emails. So if I was to set up something like that again, I would do it specifically, like you said, days of the week where, you know, I'm working for this client Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the expectation hmm. is set that I don't work Thursday, Friday. It still Friday. doesn't work is what I have found. <laughs> I have tried to set that expectation. It still doesn't work. It's hard. So you started in 2019. So it's only been two and a half years, right? Mm-hmm. And in those two and a half years, you also got married and had a baby. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> okay. 2020 was kind of a crazy year for me personally, besides the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. I, it's been really interesting starting the business while I was, you know, essentially single and just, I had nothing else to do, but work for my client and do side projects and you know, that, that was the sum of my responsibilities to fast forward to today and, you know, having a wife and uh, a one-year-old and make sure I have another baby on the way. So I feel like I've seen the full spectrum of, you know, possibilities of, yeah, go, just like trying to run the business and having my personal life change so much. And honestly, I, I, I don't think 
I don't know that I could start JetBoost today. Like Michelle, I don't know how, because you started Geocodio after your daughter was born, right? Yeah, she was four months old when we launched it. That's so, that's so crazy. I I think for us, like it was, you know, like when you have a baby, you have maybe an hour to yourself every day. And for me, that was really helpful because it meant it was like, okay, if I want to work on our side projects today, like I would think about it the whole day. Like I would sit down to work at night when she was in bed and it was just like go time. We would just blast through stuff at night and probably stayed up a little bit later than we should have. But also we were going to get woken up anyway. So it's like what you might as well work until midnight if you're going to get woken up at midnight and then just go to bed or <laughs> not. Like I don't know if I would recommend this path to anyone. <laughs> it's yeah. what we did. I don't like – yeah, I look back now and I'm like I maybe should have done things differently. But for me it was actually like motivating because before we had her, like I don't know, it was just easy to spend our weekends just like, you know – binging TV or whatever. And we wanted to start stuff, but like, it just never felt like it had to be done then. And so then, you know, having a kid on the way, you know, knowing that daycare was going to be expensive, but then learning that it was going to be $25,000 a year was like a holy, like forking, (laughs) okay, we got to start launching stuff. Like we got to go. We can't, you know, I was like, we could maybe make that much money and you know, bonuses and raises, but in the next six months, no, like we got to do something. And so, but, it, but it's hard. Like it's, I mean, it's hard on your body too. Like I think for you, I mean, you've gone through so much change and, and stress in the past. It is really stressful to launch a company. I mean, getting married and having kids are like wonderful, but they also like, they can be happy stress in a way. I mean, like planning a wedding is not easy. Like, you know, all those things are like complicated and doing that in a pandemic. I mean, I I would completely understand if you're just exhausted. (laughs) Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about it that because I have been going through a phase where I have felt just very low energy going into this year And, and all throughout the past two and a half years, like I'm sure you guys would feel the same way. Like, about your businesses, the the highs have been extremely high and the lows have been extremely low. For me, it's been very different because this is the first business that, that I've started and run. It's, it's very different from having a full-time job or from having clients, the stress. But the business combined with stress of personal life can be very hard to deal with at times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that, that has really helped is just having a, a network of people and, and other founders that can relate like you guys. I'm someone that really struggles to ask for help and i always like wait way too long until things have gotten you know way too bad whether it's dealing with my own stress or you know having a a problem in the business or a technical challenge or whatever it's like i have the mindset where okay i need to figure this out you know i need to solve this problem and i always admire people that are quick to ask for help because it's something that I struggle with so much because I, I just think it's such a shortcut to solving problems. And people are so generous, like, like both of you are so generous with with your time, with your advice. And, you know, I think founders, especially because everyone's been there during the low points, it's like you want to help other people get through that. So I think that's really key. You know, hearing that, I, I have to wonder, you know, you have a business, you have a spouse, you have a child, like in that priority list, do you feel like you come last? That's a good question. And I would say probably, yeah. Like prioritizing taking care of yourself and you're talking about, you know, handling your stress, for example, putting mm-hmm. that off for a long time. Yeah. One of the things that has been interesting to me is just like talking about the priorities. I have realized 
and everyone's different. But for me, I, I've realized like my family definitely comes before the business. I'm not going to work 12 hour days anymore and not see my son. And if that means that the business isn't able to, you know, if it negatively affects the business in some way, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. But you're right that on the priority list, I probably still put myself last <laughs> then. So yeah. And I, I mean, I found the hard way that that kind of catches up with you and <laughs> has its way of making uh, itself known when that when that's gotten too far. And I also say that as someone who has been like intending to start doing yoga to help with my stress. And then just every day I just think about how I should start doing yoga. Instead, I buy a book about doing yoga rather than mm. actually doing it. I sound like Colleen as of two years ago who would read books about starting a business and not actually start the business <laughs> yeah why do we do that like it's so easy to want to just go like you said like read a book about something i i did that for probably 10 years like i read so many books about starting businesses and read paul graham's blog and you know all, all the things and it wasn't until i started a business where i was like oh now i'm actually learning how to do it i learned more in the last two and a half years about running a business than I did in the previous 15. But still, like you said, we just like gravitate towards, I'm going to read a book about yoga instead of putting it in practice. <laughs> Colleen, you looked like you were relating pretty hard to that. Oh, yeah. We talk about atomic habits all the time, but it's the motion versus action thing that James Clear talks about where you're in motion by reading a book about starting a business or starting yoga. So you feel like you're making progress, but you don't actually have to do anything hard. Whereas action, especially being, I can't speak for Chris, but I assume Michelle was an excellent student. So being a perfectionist makes it hard to do something because you're so scared. In my opinion, it's not even a fear of failure. It's a fear of embarrassment or it's a fear of not being perfect. And so motion makes you feel like you're making progress. And it's so easy just to do that. Whereas action, actually doing the thing, to your point, Chris, you learn so much faster, but it's such higher risk. Yeah. So let's talk a little more about JetBoost. I mean, it seems like you're kind of living the indie hacker dream. I mean, right? You've had great success in two and a half years. A lot of people toil away for two and a half years. Oh, side note. Did anyone see Nathan Barry's Twitter thread yesterday on all of his failed companies? No. No, I it's missed that. So good, guys. It made me so happy. And one of the, it's like 10 tweets. <laughs> I'm assuming his failures did not make you happy, but like. No, it, it totally did, Michelle. His failures made me so happy. Okay, guys, it's epic. But um, one of them, ConvertKit, which does what? $100 million a year. They didn't hit 2K MRR till after their second year. What? That's so crazy. Right? Okay, so you have to look it up after the podcast. I know. That made me really happy. But anyway, back to Chris. So Chris hit 2K MRR significantly before his second year. So JetBoost has grown pretty quickly. Seems like it's been pretty successful. Do you work four hours a day or you live in the dream? Do you spend every Friday at the beach? Tell us. Yeah. First of all, let me say JetBoost not doing $100 million a year. So. Well, hurry <laughs> up, buddy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot because a lot of time I feel like I'm not happy with where JetBoost is at currently. And I have to go back and think, okay, like it did grow quite fast, you know, for, for an indie hacker business. I was able to go full time on it pretty quickly after six months. On one hand, like I feel like I, I should be, like you said, working four hours a day, hanging out at the beach, but I'm not, I'm sure a lot of people can relate. Like I'm not wired like that. Like I want to keep 
pushing the business forward and keep growing it. And I think that's something I'm struggling with right now is, and I feel like I've heard you say this, Michelle, that maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but that growth isn't necessarily like a primary goal for Geocodio. And obviously you have to grow your business to a certain point to be sustainable. And I've been struggling with like, okay, what's next? Like right now I'm just aiming for growth for the sake of growth, but I don't know why. And I think that's causing some issues. Yeah, we don't aim for growth. Our goal every year is to just stay the same and then we accidentally grow. And, you know, now we're at the point where like, you know, both of us are are, are full time and like, you know, comfortably so. I mean, we also, I mean, talking about going full time, you went full time after six months. I went full time after four and a half three and a half years. Like it was four and a half years before both of us were full time. But, you know, we waited until it could really, really support us. And then at that point where it was, it's pretty much for the last couple of years, we've been like, okay, this is great. Like, let's just keep it at, like, if we keep it at this level, that would be great. And then, Mm. and then we grow kind of without intending to, which I think is one of the, the luxuries of being an independent company. Was, was there like a shift at some point for you guys? Or was that sort of always the intention? I guess the only time we really actively tried, like, so we were doing a lot of things to grow and tell people about the product, right? You know, whenever people had questions related to stuff we did on Stack Overflow, like replying to that or on Hacker News or, you know, being present, right? But in terms of having an actual growth goal, the only time we really did was when we were first talking about Matthias going full time and we actually did a poll cash forward and introduced annual plans for the first time to try to like build up like a little cash reserve. But that was the only time when I was really kind of like focused on numbers and trying to like, you know, like increase our cash flow. The rest of the time we really haven't. Of course, we like, I I think there's a difference between not caring about growth and then but like still doing marketing, still, you know, doing sales, all that kind of stuff. And then not caring about growth. And then to what Colleen said, you know, doing maintenance work and then sitting on the beach for the rest of the day. Like those are two very different things. We're definitely in that first category where we're doing marketing, we're doing sales, we're doing things to improve all the time, but we do it because we like what we do and we like our customers and we like what we work on and we want to maintain that level. And we know that if the product stays stagnant and how we talk about the product stays stagnant, that we won't be able to keep our revenue at the current level. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're kind of very conscious of not stressing ourselves out about growth, but also not resting on our laurels either. But actually, like, can we just go back to that whole thing Colleen was talking about? Like, so I will admit I never read Four Hour Work Week because the concept just seemed ridiculous to me. Um, and also, I just enjoy what I do. I know a lot of people love that book. And, you know, but like this idea that like the dream and the goal is working I I don't know, I guess an hour a day and then spending the rest of the day on the beach. Like, I'm sure there's like a handful of people who actually do that. But like, come on, aren't we like, I don't know, setting ourselves up for disappointment as a community if that's the goal? Like, isn't that just, I I just feel like if you're holding that up as the goal and this idea that people with successful companies are doing that, isn't that doing a disservice to like founders who are still coming up that that's what they should be aiming for and that's the projecting that that's what everybody has because I still sit at a computer six to eight hours a day like I don't, I don't sorry I'm ranting no I totally bit. agree because <laughs> I, I always ask people that that's my favorite question like okay you've made it what does your life look like now and no one is not stressed out and no one only works four hours a day I have not found that magical person who actually does that 
So yeah, you're right. That's not a real thing. I haven't actually read four hour work week either. It's just the concept. But there is this ideal that you would get to this point of safety and security and comfort that allowed you to just do what you wanted on your business for four hours a day and take the rest of the day to do whatever. But I have not met that person. And we've had people on, you know, from all levels of, you know, small MRR to 6 million MRR and no one just hangs out. <laughs> so you're right. It's a lie. I'll call Tim Ferriss and let him know. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think that, like the whole book, I mean, it's like premised on you have this stuff and you automate it and then you like hire a VA to do the rest of it or something. But like, I think what you were saying Chris, like that goal of having your family be first, like that alone feels like a goal. And like, maybe there are points when you need to grow the revenue so that you, you know, you took on a support person last year, for example, like, because that burden was getting pretty high on you and you found an amazing person in your customer base. But like, that feels like the goal of being able to, you know, check in and check out and be with your family when you want to be like, that feels like the indie hacker dream to me and being able to choose to live in the middle of nowhere like me and, (laughs) you know, not have to live somewhere where there are tech jobs, right? Like Mm -hmm. that feels like the goal. And, you know, maybe for, you know, some people it's like you work three hours in the morning and then like, you know, our friend like Marie Poole and like she'll go gardening in the middle of the day for a couple of hours and then like work late at night, probably still doing at least six to eight, if not more hours of work on a given day, but getting to structure your life however you want it, but not necessarily this like, I don't know, work for an hour a day and sit on the beach the rest of it. Maybe people want that. I don't know. I still think that's kind of a lie. Having talked to so many founders now through events we've done in this podcast, people are always thinking about their business. I know very few people who successfully, maybe zero people who have their own business and at 5 p.m. can actually turn it off. Yeah, I don't think I know anyone who just turns it off at five o'clock. Yeah, because I think that's why like a lot of us start businesses is you're trying to solve a problem, either a problem that you have or, or someone you know has, and there's a good chance you become passionate about that problem and it, it, it is hard to turn that off. Like It's hard to not respond to customers that have questions. It's hard to not want to you know, noodle on the latest feature you're thinking about shipping or, you know, the latest marketing campaign or or whatever it is. There's a reason you started the business. And I think that's why most people are, you know, pretty much no one ends up working just two hours a day and hanging out the rest of the time. I mean, and talking about being a parent, like I think back to those early years for us and like I I have, I I don't know if regrets is the right word, but like I feel like, yeah, I was definitely thinking about the business, especially when I wasn't at work because, you know, when I was at work, I was thinking about work. And then when I was home, that was my free time. I mean, we started the business when our daughter was four months old. We incorporated the business seven days after she was born, which like every time I'm looking for our incorporation paperwork, I'm just like, what? Um... (laughs) Like, but I look, you know, I, I guess I've been reading a lot about um, attachment theory uh, the last few weeks. And I have to wonder, like, whether I was as present as a parent as I should have been or could have been. Like, I, I feel like that answer is no. And I'm really just starting to, like, grapple with that right now that, yeah, while I was playing with her, spending time with her as a baby, I was also thinking about the business in the back of my head. And, of course, parents always have stresses on their minds and you know even if you don't have a side project and you're working or you have 
you know, other stresses coming up that are distracting you. That's natural. But I always had that stressor. And and I guess I feel, yeah, an amount of like regret now for not having a better balance or not even being able to like turn it off when looking back, I feel like I really should have. I say so many of us are kind of have a little bit of these like workaholic tendencies where like we really love like digging into things and like working and balancing that with kids is like it's really hard and stressful for everybody like parents and kids included yeah I agree and I think such a small percentage of people make it with starting their own businesses I think you're right Michelle I think the people who make it do have the workaholic tendencies but this is something I think about a lot you doing that when she was young has enabled you to literally move across the country because it's the best thing for your daughter. And you have no way, this isn't sliding doors, right? You have no way to go back and be like, what if I just kept a corporate job that didn't take my mental space? Then you might be in a totally different situation now where you wouldn't be able to do that for her. So I think there's so many trade-offs in terms of the amount of work you put in and success and what you're building for your family long-term versus what you give up in the short term. Yeah. I mean, there's so many trade-offs. And actually, so we're, after reading Atomic Habits, I don't, he is like a big fan of journaling. And I was reading it and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to start journaling. And then I was like, okay, fine. Maybe I should start journaling. Like I read another book that was like, you have to start journaling. And I was like, fine. And it was like totally a chore. And now I've actually started doing it. But I read this book called The Midnight Library a couple of weeks ago where it talks about like this person, basically they die and then they get to see what it would have been like if they had made small decisions at various points in their life. So like how their life would have been different if they had, you know, become a rock star as a teenager or, you know, not broken up with that person or whatever and getting to live all those different lives. And it has occurred to me to start like journaling that out of like, what would this be like if you know, we had never started it or I had never gone full time or I had gone full time a lot sooner. I think it's interesting and helpful as a like a mental exercise to, you know, I guess to what you're saying, to be to be grateful for how things have worked out, even if along the way there there were bumps. Yeah. And I do think this conversation is making me think we need to reframe the narrative on what success looks like as an indie hacker business. Yes. Because mm. as we just discussed, this mystical idea isn't real for anyone. So what does success really look like? I mean, both of you, to me, both of you look like you're in positions of extreme success, yet both of you <laughs> seem kind of, I mean, you're happy, but maybe you're not, you don't feel totally successful. Like neither of you is like, this is awesome. I got it. I'm a success. I'm just going to enjoy it. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this. There's definitely like the, what is it called? I think it's like the hedonic adaptation. adaptation. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like you become used to wherever you're at and, and whatever gains or, or, you know, losses you've received. And it's like that just becomes your new normal. So yeah, it's it's because I think about this a lot. Like if you told me two and a half years ago that JetBoost would be where it's at today, that I'd be able to work full time on it and, you know, hire someone to help with support and be able to comfortably pay him and all of that. Like, I'd be like, wow, that's insane. Like that is seriously insane. I can't believe that, you know, here, here I am like consulting part-time and, and launching side projects and having them go nowhere. And I, I'm sure so many people can relate to that. And and then to finally have one that that worked like you said Nathan Berry posted the whole list of of all his failed companies it's like once one finally works you think okay like now now everything's going to be amazing now my life is going to be just like perfect and rainbows and great and it's like eventually it just becomes part of your life and it's like your new normal and you still have things you have to deal with and new problems and new challenges and and those can be good like there 
are it's stressful all the time like it's stressful thinking okay like thousands of people rely on this business and rely on it running reliably and performing you know the the job that it's supposed to do but it's also a fun challenge it's fun to build something that thousands of people use and give you feedback on and so yeah i've really been trying to find that balance as, as far as thinking about like what success looks like what should the goals be going forward and it's still an ongoing process, but working through it for sure. I feel like there is a parallel between starting a business and being a parent that, you know, I remember someone telling me when our daughter was young that, you know, the problems you have now for whether that's, you know, feeding or or whatnot, like you will figure out those problems, but then more problems will come or more challenges will come. And so you are always figuring out one challenge and then moving on to the next thing that seems even more complicated. And it's like, oh my God, how are we going to figure this out? And then you eventually figure that out. And then you go, then the next thing, and then the next thing. And I feel like running a business is so much like that, where you're just like very gradually building up this competence, but there is always new challenges like all the time. And it's just a matter of do you enjoy those challenges that you're facing? And, you know, unlike with parenting, with a business, you can decide no and then sell it and move on. You cannot sell your children and move on. But I think there's like a, and I think doing both of those at the same time too, like, I think really, I mean, it's just a lot at the same time, but I feel like it kind of helps to give me that perspective on it. Yeah. One thing I've really been wanting to ask you because you've been doing GeoCodeo for eight years now, and you've said it's basically like, you have no plans to sell the business. It's the best job you've ever had. But you've also you've also said like you guys started the business because you want to be able to pay for daycare. So did you take steps along the way to intentionally like build something that you knew you would love doing? Or did you just kind of fall into it? I'm only two years in and that's like something that I'm trying to figure out is how to like there are things I love about the business, but there are also some things about JetBoost that are not enjoyable, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think as you go, you know, you're designing a business, right? Like we don't think about it as a form of design, but it is all the decisions we make are design decisions about the kind of business we want to be running. Even things like, you know, do we, are we freemium or we call for a demo, right? That has a huge impact on your business model, but also, you know, maybe on your happiness as a solo founder, you know, if you love being on phone calls, then that's a great design decision. If you don't, then it's not. And so, you know, along the way, we have made decisions that both align, like align for what we needed, you know, like we needed it to be a low touch SaaS for a long time because we could not work on it most of the day. And so that informed a lot of our decisions around automating things and making things very clear and transparent. And like we couldn't have call us for pricing because we couldn't pick up the phone. And that also turned out to be the kind of business that we like running, that we feel good about running. I don't know. I guess, you know, we we only do things if they align with what we believe in and how we would want to be treated as customers ourselves. And, you know, I have no great passion for the concept of latitude and longitude coordinates. You know, they're they're not stamps, like nobody collects them for the fun of it. But I love working with our customers. I love what we are able to help our customers do and the amount of stress we're able to take off their plates and the complication we're able to take off their plates of what they're trying to do. And I just like nerd out on business in general. And so I love like being a horizontal SaaS for me is really, really fun because I love getting to learn about 
all these types of businesses that had never even occurred to me that they existed and they use our software. It's just so cool to me. And then I get to work with my husband, who is like the best coworker I have ever had. And that's what makes me want to keep working on it and, yeah. and do that for, you know, as long as we can. That's awesome. I also want to challenge you on not having great passion for longitude and latitude coordinates, because the other day you told me a fact about the only moving zip code in the U.S. So <laughs> it is a mail ship on Lake Michigan. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you find moments of delight, even in strings of numbers. Yes. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this week's episode of the Software Social Podcast. Chris, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Chris, if people want to check you out, check out JetBoost, listen to your podcasts, where should they go? Yeah, so you can find JetBoost at jetboost.io. I also do a podcast with Corey Haynes. It's called Default Alive. I believe the the URL is defaultalive.fm. And you can find me on Twitter as C underscore Spags. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outseta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Worksighted, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.